So we have been working through this uh, summer, one Sunday and not the next, and all over the place, but we have been working through uh, knowing what our identity, who are we? That's the question we have been reflecting upon uh, this summer, and we've been looking at the fact of, you know, who are we? Today we're looking at our identity in the family of God. And I know since you say that uh, term, the family of God, we think of Bill and Gloria Gaynor, don't we? In 1970, the well-known gospel songwriters, Bill and Gloria Gaynor, were home for Easter and attending one of their services at their home church in Anderson, Indiana. And they heard of a young man who, uh, in the community who had been severely burned when an explosion demolished a garage where he had been working. And doctors did not expect him to make it through the night. A church prayer chain was activated, and the church members prayed all throughout the evening for this young man. When church members gathered on that Easter Sunday, they were there to celebrate. They also received the word that the young man uh, was recovering, that he had made it through the night. And the doctor had spoken to the pastor and told him that the young man now had a chance to pull through. The whole church family rejoiced on that Easter Sunday morning. As Bill and Gloria went home after the Easter service that morning, they talked about the wonderful thing it is to be a part of the family of God, to be part of the believers, and to be able to pray together and to see what God could do, to pray to our Father in heaven. Well, you know, the Gators do what they usually do. It wasn't long that it turned into a song that many of you know the chorus. Say it with me. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. I'd like to know how many places around the world uh, and how many languages since 1970 that song has been sung. But it is about a truth that is so deep. And so that's what we're looking at today. But our first week, some of you have not been here. Uh, I've challenged people that our website does have the messages up. If anyone wants to go back, not that we're promoting ourselves, but just if you're trying to understand where we've been in this series, that the first week we went all the way back to Genesis. And as we went back to Genesis, we realized that as humans, all of us have value and worth because we have all been made in the image of God. We have been made in His image, and we have been made in His image so that we reflect His image to others. We're supposed to be like a mirror that reflects God's image, right? And so this is the value and worth that everyone has. Every human being has value and worth before God. That is why we take the stand that we take about the unborn. That is why we take the stand that we take of those who are dying. That we as the body of Christ believe that every life has value. Then we look at the reality, though in Genesis 1 we have been made in the image of God, all of humanity, we realize in Genesis 3 that there was the fall of humanity. This is not what God created humanity for, the fall. But because of sin and disobedience, all of humanity is now fallen and born 
into this sinfulness, disobedience, and fallenness. And we talked about the Mona Lisa and used that as an example that there is this masterpiece that has been made. And just like you would take that masterpiece and somebody would take dirty motor oil and pour it all over it, it would bring uh, uh, and disfigure that piece of art. That masterpiece would not be the same, but the image would still be there. That we have looked at the reality that the image, we are image bearers of God, but we have been marred. We have been damaged by sin. Then we said, well, what's our hope? What's our prayer? And we talked about the fact that the beautiful name of Jesus, we've been singing this morning, he is the remedy. Since the beginning of time, God has had a plan for us. Hallelujah. And Jesus is the remedy. That God has sent Jesus to restore us to restore relationship, but to restore us. And praise God, he's not finished with me yet. He is changing me and transforming me daily if I allow him, through the Holy Spirit, to be more and more and more like Jesus. And so we looked at the reality that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so he came to sacrifice himself for us. He was born. He died. He came up through death and rose. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. And he is there interceding and praying for you today. And there is coming a day that he is coming back. And so we found out through the sacrifice of Christ. Who am I? Well, now I am reconciled to the Father. I am redeemed. I've been purchased back. The price has been paid for my freedom. And I am justified. And we talked about justified is a legal term. It means that my slate, my rap sheet, has been wiped clean. Hallelujah. I don't know what you've done in your past, but I wouldn't be proud to share mine with you today. But hallelujah, it doesn't matter. Because in Christ, I have been justified. It has been all cleaned up. Hallelujah. White clean. And so, I pray that you've accepted this gift. We talked about the fact that Christ has done all of this once and for all, for all of humanity. Because he said what? It is finished. That's the words he proclaimed from the cross. He waited until it was finished. And it has been done for all of humanity. It has been paid for once and for all. The only stipulation is that you come to him humbly, confess your sins, and accept, receive this wonderful gift of his grace. Can't earn it. Can't work for it. It is a free gift from God. So today, we are looking at the reality of the fact that we are now a part. What's my identity? Who am I? Well, I'm a part of the family of God. So then you are no longer strangers. If we are in Christ, we are no longer strangers and aliens. Somebody's pushing this forward on me there. But you are fellow citizens. With the saints and members of God's household. You belong. If you are in Christ. You're not just reconciled, redeemed and justified. You're now 
a child of God. You're a part of the family of God. That's part of our identity. Part of my identity is the family that I'm a part of, that I grew up in. And today you need to know that if you are in Christ, part of your identity of who you are is you are a child of God. You are a part of the family of God. So one of the things, you know, I've been around a lot of weddings. A lot of weddings this summer. We're not done yet. Ms. Bracton and Kara are next, are next Saturday. Less than a week away. Congratulations, by the way. And, and so, you know, at these weddings, usually the, the, what etiquette, if you follow etiquette, is the toast is the families get up and welcome their daughter-in-law or son-in-law. What do they say? Welcome into the family. Right? That's what we do. Welcome into our family. And that's the reality that God wants us to know today. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. We are part of God's family. And so if, if we're thinking today about God's family, one of the things we have to say, God is our Father, then automatically we are what? Children. Right? And if we're children, then these are Father. And so we talk about this in the church, but I don't think we really sit down and unpack it enough of what does it mean that we're the children of God. See, God started to create a new family with Jesus. And those that would begin to be a follower of Jesus, he was beginning to make a new family. We found out what the old covenant was, right? Circumcision, as Pastor Mike said to us today. This is now the new covenant of this new family. We just partook of those emblems. This is the part of being a family of God, the new covenant that we're a part of. And God is creating this new family. So how do you become children of God? Well, John 1, 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a, human, a husband's will, but born of God. Did you see those two things there? We've talked about this a lot. To those who received him and those who believed in him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And so their children, he said, at the end of that verse, they are children born of God. Now, now we know that determination has been all throughout you know, uh, used, uh, there is that whole dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Notice that Jesus even meets with him in the middle of the night. He comes in the dark. He doesn't want anyone to know he's there. And Jesus doesn't say, well, wait till tomorrow morning and everybody can see. He, he meets with him in the middle of the night. That's where Jesus will meet us where we're at. That's just amazing to me. But they have this whole dialogue and, and Jesus says, unless you are born Unless you are born again. Now we go around saying, I'm a born again believer. <laughs> but that's what that is about, this, this birth. You know, I know today you've had a physical birth. Hello? You're here. That's not a question. We know that you've had a physical birth. Here's the question that Nicodemus is struggling with. Have you had a spiritual birth? Have you been born again? 
And he's struggling. Nicodemus struggles with that, doesn't he? What do you mean? That I can go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And, and, and he says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. But have you been born of the Spirit? Now, if you go back into the original language, and I can only share, I don't know the original language, so I can only share what I read up about this. They say that that word born again can also be used born from above. Right? Born of God. Exactly what John is saying here. Unless you've been born of God. Born again. Born from above. Have you had a spiritual birth? It's not enough just to have a physical birth. You need to have a spiritual birth. And John shows us how that is done. How is that done? It is by receiving Christ. Receiving his gift. And believing in him that he is who he says that he is. The Bible teaches that Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus is the only begotten Son. And that's a family term that is used. It indicates that God regards Jesus as a family member. And born-again believers, or born-from-above believers, are also God's family. That's what God is saying here. We are members of God's family. And so there's three ways to become part of a family. Well, one way you become part of a family is you marry into it, right? Now, that's not what we're using here today, but it is a biblical term because one of the things that we pray a lot on Saturday nights when we pray for the church is the church is the bride of Christ, and there will come a day, as we see in the book of Revelation, there will come a day when Christ will come for his bride, the church. And there will be a marriage of the Lamb and His bride, the church. That's not what we're referring to us today, but that is a biblical term, marriage. There's another way that you become a child. We already talked about that. Either you have to be born or you're adopted. That's how you become a child. And so when we hear the gospel, we confess our sins, we receive and believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus. In that moment, we're born, and we're part of God's kingdom, and we're part of his children. And actually, the scripture tells us that we're also heirs with him for eternity. So, as I've said, you don't have just a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth. Then we're also a term that Paul loved to use a lot, we're adopted into God's family. Adoption is what? A legal term. I had somebody in the family recently joke with his sister. He, they said, he said, well, they had you, but they chose me. Because he was adopted as a child. They chose me. And so adoption is this aspect of choice that God chooses us. Why does the word of God use both? Well, as human beings created by God in his image and love so much for Jesus to die for them, that we see this extravagant love. And that God wants us to know that we can be born his children and adopted into his family. It's not until we repent and follow him that we really become his children. We can be running around where his creations were like orphans before Christ. Did you get that? If, if we're adopted into God's family, let's just use our logic here. What were we before? Orphans. Not really knowing where we belong. 
what we're a part of, where we're going. And so, so there is this aspect that, that we are God's creation. We're like orphans, but then there's this moment where God wants us and our eyes are open to see that God wants us to know that we're a part of the family of God and that we are born from above and we are adopted into his family. My friends, this is not by accident. This is not by chance. This is God has chosen you. Man, that, that just does something for you. I'm not here by accident. There's some people who have come to birth, be birthed and brought about that maybe it wasn't the idea of situation. And, and all through life they feel that they're not worthy or they're not good enough or, or you know, there's situations where you hear of children who were the result of rape and all those things. You work with people over the years and you realize how broken they are, how broken their psyche is. But I'll tell you one thing, when you begin to understand, with God there's no mistakes. He chose me. I am chosen. And he knew me in my mother's womb before anyone else knew me or cared for me, God knew me. And so with God, there are no rejects, there's no junk, there's no mistakes. Everyone is precious in his sight. And so it means that this came through much cost, the cost of Christ. His commitment to us and intention, he chose us. So why did God make us his children? We see it all through scripture, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's how much he loves you. It's all because of God's amazing grace and love that we are the children of God. I like what Galatians 4, 4 to 7 says, that we have a heavenly Father. But then the set time had fully come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sonship, because you are His sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son in our hearts, and the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I don't know if your faith looks like slavery, but you've missed it if it does. Oh dear, I've got to go to church again. Oh dear, I've got to go to prayer meeting. Oh dear. It is I don't have to. Can't even remember that one. I get to. I get to, right? It is, we're the children of God. This is our delight. This is our joy. And isn't that wonderful there, the term that he uses there, that we get to call God Abba, Father. That's a familiar, intimate term, isn't it? It's like Daddy, Pepe, Papa, whatever language or whatever part of the world you're from, whatever language you would use for your father, there is this intimate now relationship with God, the creator is now, not just God, the creator out there, but he is my father. You know, one of the things happens when you lose both your parents, you, you get to a place, some of you that have a parent or both parents around, God bless you, but when you lose both parents, there's a sense of being an orphan. 
there's this sense of, well, who do I belong to now? What, what's this all about? And I'll tell you what faith does for you when you say, well, I'm not fatherless. God is my father. I have a heavenly father. Who taught us that? Where did we hear that before? Hmm. Jesus said, when his disciples said, how should I pray? Almighty God, the creator? No. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus was, that was so revolutionary in Jesus' day that he referred to God as Father. And that's what we get to do now as his children. And so we heard already that we're not just children, but we're heirs. Heirs of the kingdom with Christ. So what's an heir? Well, an heir is a person who inherits, right? Who inherits an inheritance. If you are in Christ, you are also not just a child, but you are an heir. Galatians 4, 7, that we already read. Listen to it again. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. So you're a child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You know, I thought about that. We haven't spoken a lot about that. I don't know if you've heard it, but that's not something we speak about a lot in the church. That I have an inheritance. I'm God's child, and I have an inheritance. Romans 8, 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what do we inherit? See, usually, though, uh, usually in, in our families, we inherit after somebody dies. And some people want to believe that what you inherit as a Christian, you have to wait for the sweet by and by. But the truth of God's word is there's an inheritance. You don't have to wait because there's an inheritance that you already have. One of the inheritances that you have is blessed peace. That God gives us this peace. Peace with the Father. We are reconciled and we know that blessing, peace. Peace that passes all understanding. You know what else we're given? We're given the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We don't have to wait till we die. We're given the Holy Spirit now. We're given the presence of Christ now. We're given the power of Christ now. There's no more excuses, friends. Because we have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit while we wait for that glorious inheritance. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Did you hear that? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believe, you were marked with him, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? A deposit Guaranteeing our inheritance. You've already received a portion of your inheritance by receiving the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. But hallelujah, we're also going to receive the kingdom. We're going to receive the kingdom. As Revelation 21, 1-7 says, listen to what this says. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God. What does it say? And they will be my children. My friends, I don't know, but I'm getting excited about my inheritance. The kingdom. We have been given the keys of the kingdom here, and we wait for the future kingdom. And so we're God's children. We're members also of his body. And so as children and heirs, we are also members of the body of Christ. This is an analogy that was used, a metaphor that was used a lot through the New Testament. Paul was known to use it. We heard that passage of scripture from Rachel. Who is God's Children, who is the brothers, mothers, and brothers of Jesus? You see, Jesus was sitting there teaching. He was busy about the kingdom. And of course, people thought he had gone mad. So the mother and the brothers are trying to get him outside to take him back home. To put him in his place. And Jesus doesn't bother to listen to what they say. He doesn't jump up. What does he say? You're my mother. You're my brothers. How do we know if we're the mother or brother of Jesus by according to this passage of scripture? We do the will of the Father. Instead of being disobedient now, we choose to be obedient. We say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. What would you have me do? And so the Bible calls this family of God the body of Christ. And we know we don't have time today to get into it, but the body of Christ symbolizes each member doing their part, each member united with the other. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ through many form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. If you accepted Christ, you belong to someone. Did you hear that? If you accepted Christ, you belong here. If you have accepted Christ, you're my brother or my sister. And we're family. And we belong to each other. Do you know what's killing the church in North America? This blessed individuality. It's about me and Jesus. That's all that matters. The pandemic sure didn't help. But it's just about me and Jesus. That's all that matters. That is a lie of the enemy, and it is not biblical. Because what is biblical is we're a part of the family of God. 
and we're the members of one body. And therefore the members of one body, we work together in unity, we love one another, we work through our issues, we are reconciled, and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And there's no such thing as lone rangers in the body of Christ. And my friends, when your chair is empty, you are missed. In this family, we come, all of us, under the Lordship of Christ. And you know, I thought about that this morning. That often, a lot of people say, well, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. Oh yes, he's my Lord. But this model is saying, he's the head of what? The body. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the family of God. So even that mindset that I can have him as my Lord, but I don't have to have anything to do with you, I've missed it again. Because Jesus is the head of what? Not individuals. He's the head of the body, the church. All of us together. And so we need to realize today that that is a part of who we are, the family of God means that we are part of this body of Christ and this headship, this lordship of Christ. And I have a question for you today. It has nothing to do with this message, but I just brought it up real quick. If you haven't been baptized, it's time you start thinking about it because that is the initiation, the right into the family of God. This is how you show others, I'm a part of the family of God. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I go under the waters of baptism. And make a display for all the world to see. And I would love to see those who have not, who know Christ, it's time to submit and die with Christ and come alive with him through the waters of baptism. Now, I have to give this sidebar. Is our families perfect? No. Are the family, is the church perfect? No. Are we different? Oh, look around. <laughs> Do we think different? Mm -hmm. Do we have different opinions? Yeah. Do we rub each other the wrong way sometimes? Like any earthly family? Sure. <laughs> but above all, our family is more important to us than our own personal whims and wishes and wants and desires. And as we said a few weeks ago, I suck it up, Buttercup. Because the kingdom and the body of Christ is more important than my personal whims, wants, and wishes. And I keep the unity at all times. Because this is the body of Christ. Families also love doing things for each other. They love surprising each other. They love giving each other gifts. They love to celebrate when one does so well, they want to celebrate. When one mourns, the other mourns. Oh, does that sound familiar? Because that's what families do. You don't have to get paid for it. You don't, you don't have to be begged to do it. Because each one knows what their part is in the family, and they do that. You know, we'll go down later and have a potluck, and I remember a while back somebody was all upset because it wasn't all set up for them, and I said, well, we're a family here. And when we have a potluck, we set it up together. 
Because it looks like a family. The kids get out and get the forks and knives, and somebody else puts the salt and pepper on the table, and later you'll see a group in the kitchen cleaning up the dishes, because that's what family does. We work together, not against each other. And so I want to encourage you today. I pray that you're part of the family of God. I like what, as we bring this to a close, I like what Rick Warren said. When we place our faith in Christ, God becomes our Father. We become His children. Other believers become brothers and sisters. And the church becomes our spiritual family. The family in God includes all believers in the past, present, and future. We call that universal church. Because just because you sit in a physical church doesn't mean you're a part of the universal church. You're a part of the universal church if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then you become a part of his universal church that spans over all time until he returns. Are you a part of his church today? Are you a part of his family today? Have you accepted what Christ has done for you? Then you're my brother and my sister. And it's exciting to be to realize that I get to spend time with you now, but I'm going to spend all eternity with you later on. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I wanted to challenge you today about your spiritual family. Not always easy saying certain things that need to be said. Part of the tradition here on the island, and I remember it in Newfoundland, was Sunday family dinners. I, I remember my grandmother, because of being Salvation Army and holiness, there was so important that you didn't do any work on Sunday, that they would have our, our clothes would be ironed and laid on the bed for Sunday morning. All the vegetables would be peeled for Sunday lunch and sitting in a pot of cold water waiting for after church. There was no excuse that I didn't come to church because I had to make lunch. Because it was all prepared and lunch was ready when it was ready. The church came first. And so sitting down at, as a family at, at a family dinner was a weekly highlight. Now, years, things have changed and I know in this church there's some of you that still do it on Sundays, some of you Sunday evenings, some of you can't do it till Saturdays or Friday night or whenever, when everybody can be together, you'll have that family dinner. And those are those moments that we call the sweet spots. There's a book out there that talks about that. Those moments where time stands still, where it's just so wonderful to be with each other, to catch up with each other, to share life together, to break bread together. Family dinner. Family times. Now, I also know in our family, my grandmother would know who was missing. And she would know that that table where that person always sat at the table, that seat was empty. Mothers tend to do that too. We know, you know, we might have part of the family home and we'll celebrate, but it's not the same until everybody's at the table together. And my friends, you're. Your earthly family, your physical family, is a gift from God. It is so important. But don't ever put it above the family of God. Because what's also so closely important is us being together here. Spending time together weekly. 
breaking bread together when we can, sharing life together as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call it. Because this is my family as well. This is the family of God. And this idea that we're living today in individuality, that I go to church and I do church when it's convenient for me, and when it's not convenient, I'm not there, well, it's the same as if you are missing at that family dinner table. You're missing out and we're missing you. And so there comes a place in our life that we begin to celebrate the fact that we're a part of the family of God. We are heirs with Christ and we are the body of Christ. And what we do here on Sundays and Wednesdays or whenever, whether it's a boat trip that we didn't get to do yesterday or whatever it might be, all of those are precious moments where we get to live out the reality that we're the family of God. That's my identity. That's who I am. But praise God, we get to practice what we're going to be doing over there. And I pray that my physical earthly family are a part of it. It breaks my heart. But this is my eternal family. This is who I'm going to spend eternity with. And my prayer is that my physical earthly family will be a part of it. That's why I come to the family of God and I pour out and I pray as we did today and we pray for their souls because it's not enough for me that I'm just here with my family of God that I want my earthly physical family to be a part of it as well. But don't ever get to the place where your physical earthly family is all and you have forgotten about your eternal family of God. The enemy would want you to do that. He would want to take you away in all kinds of rabbit holes to get you down. I have heard things that I've heard people say to me in years that I never thought I would hear from saints of God why they can't be at church on Sunday. God have mercy on us. Is that what we're going to say to Jesus? Isn't that like the ten virgins, the five that had their lamps ready, and the other five that had to go off shopping to get the oil, and they missed it? My friends, this is a priority. This is where I live the reality of what family life in the kingdom of God looks like. I cannot emphasize it enough, and I've said enough, more than enough. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing this song. And I pray that you've probably sang this song many, many times. But I pray that you sing it today with a new commitment, a new fervor. A new commitment to God the Father. A new commitment to Christ the head of the body. That Lord, thank you for the family of God that I'm a part of. And I am committed to it. And I'm going to do my best to see my family come in and be a part of it. To see the community come in. My neighbors, my colleagues. All of them. That I want them also to be a part of the family of God. Let's sing this together and we'll